Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Emily Keene, and she's the second person I interviewed during my time in Seattle before the East Vancouver Old Time Social. As we started warming up, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that this would be a harmonica episode. I had no idea. Uh, if I hadn't made it clear already, I love my weekly fiddlers, but I'm always looking for non-fiddling guests, especially harmonica. If you know a great old-time harmonica player or are one, hit me up. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how you can support Get Up in the Cool and get some exclusive bonus content. But first, here's my interview and jam with Emily Keen. Enjoy. that one yeah we don't have to beat that one to death <laughs> emily keen welcome to get up in the cool well thank you for having me yeah thanks for having me in your home well and you are in my home as much as a stable as it's like a stable anywho it's full of <laughs> instruments and books and coffee that's and right. tea so that's like the perfect home there thank you so what can I say about myself? I was yeah. born in Seattle 64 years ago, back when it was not the thriving metropolis it is today. Yeah. It was it was more of a seaport city. Right. And they did have Boeing, but in the 70s they even had a sign up outside of Seattle that said, "Well, the last person leaving Seattle, please turn the lights off because of the Boeing layoffs." <laughs> and so there was I've never heard that. Uh, yeah. It's great. And um, especially in the 70s when I came of age, it was, you could live very cheaply around here. I was sharing, I had a room and a house and it cost me $50 a month. Oh my goodness. If you can imagine, you can't even, you can't. No, I cannot imagine that. Yeah, you can't, yeah, it is amazing. So you could live on practically nothing. And that um, therein, I guess, begins my story Um, in... Um, I grew up here in Seattle, and the first music that I was interested in was the bagpipes. I loved the sound of the bagpipes. Well, how were you exposed to bagpipe music? Well, my brother had a record of bagpipes. Okay. And, of course, and um, and I just, I loved that. I thought that was the, the great thing. And so my parents got me a practice chanter, and I took some lessons on the practice chanter. Um, what is a practice chanter? I don't actually know anything about bagpipes. Oh, well, it's the part that you finger on. Okay. And um, the, a practice chanter is a little shorter than the big chanter, and it doesn't take as much wind to blow. So it, it sounds kind of like the snake charmer, dur, 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 yeah. dur, dur, like that. And you have to learn all the fingering. And right. the, the bagpipe is not kind of a, a free-spirited instrument. It's, 
it's like you're supposed to play it in a band and that means you have to play it exactly this way and it's very very no nonsense and so is that because it's like a it's like a military instrument it right is, is that why yes well it's yes although i think it attracts the it attracts the um the kind of the regimental mind yeah and and so you play it this way you don't play it that way you play it and so it's very very specific what you do and that i think not your thing it just kind of (laughs) wasn't my thing wasn't my thing and so that kind of drifted off and then i used to go and stay with my sister who lived in california in santa monica um during the summers and she and um i was walking around in santa monica and i went into what we called a head shop then which is where you i you, they had all these hippie posters and things that glowed in the dark it was really uh-huh. neat and there was a harmonica a marine band for two dollars and 25 cents yeah. which they now cost 39 dollars and uh-huh. um <laughs> and i bought that and i picked it up and i started walking around and playing it and i learned to play it walking around and um and i was happy with that and then a little later that summer my sister and her next door neighbor went to they were into doing these cultural events they went up to topanga canyon to the topanga canyon fiddle and banjo contest and i went up there and there were all these hippies playing fiddles and banjos and i thought this is cool and you don't actually and at that time foggy mountain breakdown had just gotten popular yeah. <laughs> and and i thought this is neat this is you know i could i could do this because i'm a hippie and i you don't have to be from from the you know the hills to do this and so um about a year later i pulled weeds all spring and i got myself a banjo uh-huh. and i and the pete seeger book and i tried to play it and such and um and so i was um, playing along with that and then um eventually learned to play some you know that's it, some old time music and start you know started there wasn't very many books then there was pete seeger's book yeah. and there was um there was art rosenbaum's book mm-hmm. and there was john burke's book on how to play the the claw hammer banjo yeah and um that was about all there is now so one of the things that you could see if you could see this on the radio is that i have all this huge collection of folk music books of all of how <laughs> to play this instrument and how to play this instrument and how to play this instrument and i don't really play any of those instruments anymore and i can't say i learned that much out of them but i'm fascinated by this now i mean in back in the old days all you could get was like uh, you know these few books on how to do things and yeah. now they have like they have books on how to play the nose flute with only the left nostril playing only the music played in uh-huh. west cincinnati <laughs> on the, everybody's got a book now and so i'm fascinated yeah. by this because i'm we you know i had to learn from playing from listening to records yeah and that was all there wasn't very much live music you couldn't watch people around and so most of the music i learned i learned from records and um so uh so i have this huge collection of this stuff and so i played the banjo and then i got and then i went into a music store and saw this book called a thousand fiddle tunes and i bought that book and then i thought but i don't have a fiddle but i used did to you, walk did you know how to read music at that time well only a little bit only a little bit a little bit i still don't read very well just enough to like piece it together yeah, yeah. kind of, well actually my dad could kind of read music on the piano and so sometimes i'd have him play it okay i can't say that i've ever learned a book out of a thousand fiddle tunes okay but <laughs> 
I mean, I've, you I've were doing... per, you were purchasing the idea of learning a thousand fiddle tunes. Exactly, I, I thought it. that was great, and I didn't have a fiddle, and but I used to walk home past this violin shop every day, Clark's violin shop. He was a great old guy, and he had like these violin necks, and so. Um, and they were unfinished, and they were like four dollars or something. So I bought one of those, Perfect. and I'd seen a picture of a cigar box fiddle, and so I had a cigar, a cigar box, and I put that together, and I learned to play some a little bit on that. I mean, and it was it was it's summer when it's, somebody thought it was cute, and they're hanging it up in their in their house or anything. It's long gone from my life, but anyway, then I I got a real fiddle, and I uh, for fourteen dollars, my first fiddle cost fourteen dollars with a bow. And um, and I learned a little bit on that. And my main inspiration starting out, and this is was the Holy Modal Rounders. Have oh you, yes. yes, they were you know Peter Stamfel and and I've only heard a few of their songs, but I know that that song uh, is it Griselda. Is that what yeah, it's called? it could yeah. be. And they played the Flop-Eared Mule was one of the big oh, ones good. that they played the Flop-Eared Mule. And sometimes they would play that late at night on on the FM version of our of our pop station. And they would play late at night. He would play Taj Mahal and the Holy Modal Rounders yeah. and things. And so that got me into playing my first fiddle tunes. Mm. So that's enough chattering. Maybe yeah, let's maybe play another tune. Play. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, should we do the Sally Johnson? Oh, okay. We'll try that. like we planned it wasn't it <laughs> just like it <laughs> so there was this music store on the uni in on university way which was near the near where i went to high school and near where i grew up and they had a bunch of like folk music records they had old time music records in there and i would paw through there looking for looking for stuff and i and i was in there one day and there was this this guy this young guy that looked like an old guy pawing through there talking about how great Clark Kessinger was and mm -hmm. I bought that Clark Kessinger album and I remembered that guy oh and I bought uh, Mountain Music of Kentucky with with Roscoe Holcomb on yeah. the front of it and I'll tell you I went home and I heard that recording of Marion Sumner playing Lost Indian and my head just turned around about 360 degrees I thought that was the most amazing thing I ever heard in my life and I, you know, 
tried um, years and years and years and years and years. I'm still trying to get what's in that tune, the way he played it into mm. into my music. Anyway, really loved it, and um, and but it turns out that that fellow I recognized him. I ran into him later because that was the great Hank Bradley. And if you run into Hank Bradley in your travels, did you interview Hank Bradley? Not yet. yet? Oh, you should. <laughs> He is, to my mind, the best old-time fiddler going. Okay. And he influenced an awful lot of people. Mm. And a lot of the people in the Seattle scene started out because they were in Berkeley. Yes. And and so the Berkeley scene kind of moved up here from Seattle in the early 70s. A lot of people from there. Um, Jack Link with the Gypsy Gippo String Band, if you hear of them. And um, Hank Bradley was up here for a little while, and that influenced um, Jeff Thorne and, and Ellen Bush at that time to come up here. They had the Old Hat Band, was a big, was an old-time string band. They made a living at it for, for a few years. I mean, a living was yeah. you could live yeah. you know your rent was nothing and you could you could afford you know if you played somewhere and they gave you food and beer yeah i mean that was your food and beer for a couple of days so yeah. that was you know it was all right you really could live half the mouth in those days <laughs> i mean i pay more for my mobile phone bill now than i did to live back then yeah. you know <laughs> but um so he really influenced i think people to to come up here and um, then John Burke was, um, I, had, I had his book, and by then he had quit playing the banjo, and he just played the fiddle. But, I mean, he was still, he is still an authority on old-time yeah. music. So they kind of formed the, the kernel of the old-time music scene around here. And, um, and I think the local fiddling, and, until recently, was always kind of influenced by that Berkeley sound, that the Southern California sound, where there's a lot of emphasis on the upbeat. Mm-hmm. Probably more emphasis on the upbeat than there really is, like on the, the real mountain mountain stuff. Yeah. You know? And um and I went down to Sweets Mill, I remember it was it was great. And we would all we would all gather around with our fiddles and stuff and we would play for hours. And we would play the same tune for like you know, fifty minutes. Uh-huh. You know, all kind of <laughs> huddled together, like about forty people, all yeah. kind of forming this huge kind of a hive type of a thing, playing the tune. And if you didn't know what when you started, you knew it by the time you ended. Yeah. And we all played it together, and it was a pretty, it was a pretty wonderful scene back yeah. then. And now it's time to play another tune. Yeah. Uh, so those are the two two that we had planned on doing. Should we do? Um, I didn't think. Yeah. Should we do the Gone to the Free State? Well, yeah. Or do you, um, let's do the little Dutch girl. Great. Yeah, let's do the little Dutch girl. Why don't you count it off with that speed? Okay. One, two, three.
Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, that's a tune from Earl Collins, who was an Oklahoma fiddler, and I don't think oh, I ever heard him in person, but he did, he moved to, to Southern California, oh. and he, um, recorded an album called That's Earl, and, uh, <laughs> a great album, and that was real influential. Everybody learned learned that tune from him and bull at the wagon was another oh, one that people used to play all the time and of course um, they play some, that a lot in philly oh okay yeah. and that was he recorded that and kind of repopularized it after the original recording who was somebody in sun i can't remember mm. who it was the old the old 78 but um but anyway that was that was real popular the bull at the wagon and um Earl Collins and I think Tom Sauber, the um, old-time banjo player, played with him on on that mm. album too. Well, I'm always mm. trying to collect more Oklahoma tunes because mm -hmm. that's where my grandparents are from on my <gasps> dad's side. And like coming from Oregon, feeling like I don't know what tunes are sort of my heritage. It's kind of nice to like get those ones from oh. Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't we don't have that much of a that much of a history right do we no yeah, except well, for lewis and clark right and and, and all i guess of we have a, his, a history of people moving out here so, that's right you know. yeah yeah so that's um yeah i know what you mean about that except now there you know that's like seattle really when i was when i was growing up um it wasn't that big a place and we had lots of people that moved out here from the midwest mm. who, you know prime and um and then people, some people directly from Scandinavia, but um, other people that had moved to the Midwest from Scandinavia. And so um, the fiddling that was around here, and I, would, I started out earlier telling you about what a big influence Phil and Vivian Williams were. And just um, huge influence. They really um, kind of made the, the whole scene gel around here they had a yeah. big old house and and they were part of the they really got the folklore society going here and anybody that was anybody came to stay and they when they stayed they stayed with phil and vivian mm. and um and they really got things going and there was an old-time fiddler still is a washington old-time fiddlers association but um most of the fiddlers around here i think they they played, I'd say, the ones that really lived here locally, they played with a real Scandinavian flavor yeah. to it. And I, I need you a CD with it, and you might want to put yeah, it I'm on excited your to show. Hear it. Yeah. And this old guy that I used to play with, I used to play the banjo with him, Alvin Sanderson. He, and at the time, I thought he was really old. He was 85 or something, which doesn't seem so old to me anymore. But <laughs> he, he would come out, and he had a little pencil mustache, and... And he was always very dapper, and he was a national old-time champion. And um, and he would play these tunes, and he never played real fast. He played in kind of a stately fashion, and mm -hmm. I would play at auctions and things with him. And he, he liked my banjo playing, and there was always two or three guitar players. And I think he even paid me one time, but that was fun to play <laughs> and um, with Alvin Sanderson. And then, um, and then there was a, a lot of Canadian influence, too. And because we are right next to Canada, and um, this guy um, started playing again, Joe Panzareski, 
um, the fiddling engineer, and um, he made great friends with Phil and Vivian and recorded an album. He's always worth hearing. And uh, what kind of engineer was he? Uh, he was a oh, he was the train engineer. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are are all kinds of engineers, but yeah. he was. Uh, um, but he was actually was a was a train engineer i'm imagining him fiddling in in a train <laughs> yeah, he was in fact on his record album he has him leaning out of and what a character what yeah. a character <laughs> but he had put the fiddle down for about 30 years and then took it back up again and became the western canadian champion and he was the washington state old-time champion and he played some marvelous tunes and i made you a little sampler you can still get his cd but he was a big influence yeah. on on that so um on a lot of people's playing a lot of us all played around there and then frank farrell if you if you're frank farrell is a is a incredible um eastern canadian style player and he um, grew up out here and somehow huh. came up with it uh somehow took to playing that stuff yeah and uh, if you ever listen to that show, I can never remember. It's that NPR show. Um, they all have they all have sentence fragments as names, like yes. uh, you don't <laughs> yeah. know, or I wish you were here, or something like that. It's one of those one of those uh, uh-huh. those quiz shows <laughs> that they have. Wait, wait, don't tell me. Yes, that's, yeah. I think that's it. Anyway, he played the, the incidental music on that when oh, it started goodness. out, and um, huh. he's a, a he lives in Boston now, Frank Farrell, and. Um, incredible player, but he um, he kind of got popular around here, and then he formed a, a band with with um, Mark Graham, who's kind of a legend in the local scene and all of that. So we had a lot of good fiddle players, and then of course um, Barbara Lamb, who went back to Nashville, and and um, and so we've always had a lot of good fiddle players. Oh, Benny Thomason lived up here about that time as well, and. I'm not a big fan of Texas fiddling, but it's different. When Benny played it, he'd kind of rear back on one hip and he'd play that uh-huh. those tunes. <laughs> oh, you never heard it. Like, it. His records didn't capture it, but to hear him in person, it was just mm. really something. And so we had a lot of good fiddle players. And then, of course, Mark O'Connor, he, he learned from everybody around here. And um, I gave him bluegrass banjo lessons and he picked right up and he knew enough that to know that there was no future in that so he could play but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah i was going to ask um i know that there's a lot of bluegrass music in the northwest um i was exposed to that a lot earlier than i was to old time uh-huh uh is there much of a separation in the northwest or in the seattle scene especially when, as it was developing when i started out there was not you had we would. There were these folklore society parties that would yeah. happen in these big old houses up here on Capitol Hill, which now are like three million dollar houses. Yeah. Back then, they were pretty much deserted, and so people huh. could afford to rent them for just a song or buy them for a song. <laughs> and and you would have these parties, and you would you would jam with Irish people. You would jam with. You would jam with bluegrass and old time people. We all played together. Canadian, yeah. you know, you Texas. We all played together, and there wasn't the separation. Was that there, be, was that out of a sense of necessity because of the amount of people that were playing it, or was that because 
the just the aesthetic wasn't people didn't have like uh, we, specific tastes. We weren't. It was. It was a. I think there there weren't that many of us, yeah. and we were happy to give it a try. We sure. didn't. We didn't have all these people saying, "Oh, this doesn't go with that. This doesn't right. go with that." You right. know, you'd say, "You know, let me try and play along with that," and that's mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it would sound good, maybe it wouldn't, but it wasn't real codified into into. Yeah, into you, this goes or doesn't. Do you ever miss that? I really miss that a lot. Yeah, yeah I miss that because those really were were happy, freewheeling days. Yeah. And and you really, you know, and sometimes you get something great, and sometimes you didn't. But it was, uh, yeah, I do miss those days. Was there more singing than there is now? Um, well, people maybe not, maybe not. I think maybe there's more singing, you know, because um, bluegrass is more. Right. is more conducive, to, uh, conducive that, yeah. to singing and the bluegrass scene has changed a lot um in the um in the early um after i i played a lot of old time banjo i was concentrating on that and then i heard hank bradley and i tried to copy every note he played and i was kind of un- i was pretty much unsuccessful in that but then um I started listening to the, some of the people that he had listened to, which were kind of that transitional fiddling that was that you hear a lot. Um, the, a lot of the great players like Buddy Pendleton and Otis Burris and Sonny Miller that that were bluegrass fiddlers, but they still played old time music. And there's a does Kenny Baker count as a transitional fiddler? I would count him. I would count him, although he's kind of his own style in right. a way, isn't he? Okay. He is kind of his own style. I did notice that in some of the recordings you sent me. Like, I yeah. never heard Otis Burris before, and I was like, yeah, this sounds kind of like bluegrass, uh, but not not quite. Yeah. Arthur Smith changed mm-hmm. the entire game, fiddling Arthur Smith. And it's, it's like he, um, you know, I would say 99% of the old-time fiddlers that that anybody has recorded has, have been... Influenced by fiddling Arthur Smith, even up into Canada and such, he was huh. incredibly influential, and um, so that was a big change. And so I started listening to to that, and I started listening even harder to bluegrass. And pretty soon, I started getting caught by the sound of the bluegrass breaks, and I quit playing tunes and I started learning to play breaks. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And then I started getting calls from bluegrass bands to come and play with them. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and at that time, there was, um, well, in the 1930s, it wasn't that time to jump back. During the Depression, an entire town in North Carolina moved out to the North Cascades, about oh. 70 miles north of Seattle. Why would they do that? An entire town? They were loggers. Okay. And there was no money in logging back there, and they came and they started logging in Seattle because there's logging, a lot of logs out here. There was logs, <laughs> and the lumber industry used to be big, and the paper industry used to be big, and so there's this little town of Darrington, and it is filled with they they are proud to call themselves Tar Heels. It's not not derogatory yeah. to call somebody a Tar Heel, and um, so um, and they and they played, and I played a lot with them. And that was, and um, then I played with these two guys for years, um, Hank and Harley, um, who called themselves the Tennesseans, and they were transplanted Tennesseans. 
So I I played along with them because I learned from the old records and they learned from the old records and Perfect. and that was and it worked out and I really really loved that and I managed to piece together a living doing that for about ten years. Wow. And then I also fell in with people that played Clancy style, Clancy Brothers style I'm Irish music. With Clancy Brothers, yeah. They're, they were a folk Irish folk band of the 1960s, and um, and they did they well they were kind of like the the Irish version of the Kingston Trio, gotcha. except they were authentic. They yes. were authentic. They were an authentic family of singers. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then I played with an Irish accordion player that was direct from Belfast that was an All-Ireland um, champion, and I um, learned to play hornpipes and such with him. And so I loved that music as well. So I so the Cayley bands that have drums and accordions, yes. I love that music. Yeah. I love that music. So, But anyway, I quit learning to play so much tunes and played breaks. And that was kind of how I made my living, is I would play in bluegrass bands and play in, in Irish bands when I needed to, and I only knew a few tunes. And um, and then um, country and western bands, and I played a lot of country and western music. And... Um, and now, I have, a, I have a somewhat intuitive idea about what it means to play a break, but maybe you could clarify for me. Oh, what a break. Okay, well... Because I've never played bluegrass music. My, my impression is that it's like a like a um a a tiny solo <laughs> is yeah. that what it is <laughs> it's like a tiny solo it's okay. well okay basically what you've got is a person in bluegrass music a person sings a verse then generally everybody sings a chorus yeah and then each instrument takes um, a solo based on the verse gotcha and um that stretches the song out and gives each instrument a chance to shine. And of course, that was, that was you know the big the big um, innovation that Bill Monroe made in yeah. bluegrass music. And that really wouldn't have happened without the microphone, because yes. you know then you could hear the, each little individual instrument gotcha. playing. So, so it was really a blending of the of the old mountain vocal styles yeah. with the with the instrumental styles. So it's a totally different technique and like musical intuition for playing the breaks. Yeah. yeah. And Makes you, sense. Okay. Yeah. And so and then especially like when you get into um when you get into um, country and western music then they decided that having everybody play the whole break was too long and uh -huh. people didn't want to really sit through the most people really like the words to the song sure. and not the music to the song <laughs> yeah. you know yeah and so so a lot of times you would shorten them yeah and then also you have to do a lot of structural things like you have to kick it off there's a thing it's like you would start it off with a a one five one progression which we call a sears and roebuck you know, give us a series of robots. <laughs> dun, 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 da, do, do, gotcha. do, 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 do. And that lets everybody know that the introduction is coming. And so there's a lot of, um, in a way, it's kind of like maybe crude jazz or something playing in a country and western sure. band because you're always having to signal to other people yes. and nod and such. Interesting. So that's, Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, this, that's helpful yeah and you end up playing most everything you know you end up playing requests i played everything on the fiddle from you know the well i played um alley cat i think was one of the weirder things i've ever played i don't know that one the, on the piano used to play that all the time <laughs> 
and uh, all of the, you know. So that was the kind of thing. Yakety sax. And <laughs> I do know that one. <laughs> and uh, and Johnny B. Good. I used to play that wow. break all the time. And um, you know, so you do what you what you do to keep the the money coming in and such. Yeah, certainly. And so, well, let's play another yeah. tune. What should we do next? Oh, uh, let's see. Let's do another one. Um, let's do what? Could we do a modal a modal song? Yeah, of course. Yeah, let's do some 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 modal songs. <laughs> harmonica are you playing there oh i'm glad key? you i'm glad you asked me about that well that that goes uh maybe you'll put this at the end but um so i was playing the fiddle i played the fiddle for a long time until um about 30 years ago on saint patrick's day um i played very very hard i played very very hard because mm. that's the way that's the only way i could get the sound to come out of my fiddle and because mm. we didn't have good amplifiers in those right. days and because i never really took any lessons and to get the sound and those old guys they sounded like they were playing really hard and i liked the sound of the making the fiddle in. just screaming i just love to hear that and um and so I would play real hard, and we used to play for 16 hours on St. Patrick's Day. And 30 years ago, then I did that, and then the next day my arm froze up with this mm. thing called focal dystonia, mm. where where your arm kind of locks up. And if you look it up on the computer, you can see there's a lot of better musicians than I am that have gotten it. Um, but anyway, so I got I, I put down the fiddle, and I went to just finger-picking the banjo yeah. and playing Scruggs style and such. And I did that for a few years, and then it moved and it messed up my fingers yeah. for finger-picking. And lately, it's even messed them up so I can't play Clawhammer anymore. Wow. But any... And I was really, really depressed. So um, 
fortunately, I found the Tin Whistle, and I played a lot of Tin Whistle. Mm. I learned a, learned a lot of those Irish tunes that I should have known for years and years and years. So and, it didn't get in the way of, like... Well, because you play it really lightly. It's so light, yeah. And it's also, it's task-specific, the, the Estonia. It's like... It's pretty much it only fouls up some things that it's from over huh. golf play, golfers get it and they call it the yips the yips and some people hmm. get it in their voice and if anybody is familiar with Diane Reams the old talk show on NPR she had it in her in her throat and they call it vocal dystonian so people huh. get it there but anyway so you know you ask me what time it is I'll tell you how to build a watch so the um <laughs> but the harmony so um. And I love playing the Irish music and everything, but it was there's still this whole other music I couldn't play anymore. You know, all this mountain music and everything that I loved. And um, so I used to play, you know, I started out playing blues on the harmonica and stuff. And I thought, well, why don't I try playing it on the harmonica? And there's this fouled up thing about called the Richter tuning. Like most harmonicas are tuned... So it skips yeah. notes, yes. and that's so you can get chords. Right. And I never liked that to play that way. Huh. A lot of good players play that way, but I never liked that sound, and that wasn't what I heard, and it was missing those notes. Right. So a lot of people like to choke it out, but I think... What I don't do you like mean the, choke it out? Well, if you, over, if you draw real hard on a reed... Yeah. This is a leaky old harmonica. Uh, this old <laughs> leaks, but but if you um, you can choke out the note, and if you can do this other thing called overblowing, which I've never mastered, but Howard Howard Levy does it, and you can raise it up too. But mm. um, but if you're going to play fiddle tunes, you don't want want to do that. And I wanted to play fiddle tunes, and I came upon this thing, um, this company Seidel that makes a tuning called a a, a circular tuning. And the circular oh, tuning has all the notes in the scale. Wow. So you can't play a lot of those chordal things, but you it's got all... It's so, great for all time, though. Yeah. yeah. So um, it would start out... Huh. So it's got all the notes in the scale. And now this one that I was playing Greasy Code on, this is, a, this is an out-of-the-box... <laughs> that's an out of the box tuning and that's this is a straight circular harp but then this one that i um that i started out on in the key of c that's um actually that's the wrong key that's f um but anyway um they also will configure them for you mm. and um it's not a commercial for the Seidel company, but I like their <laughs> products. So I send away to to Germany, and they and they send them back configured a certain way. So, so you just request the notes. You request the and notes. And they'll make it happen. And they'll make it happen. Wow. You do it on the. So that's why there's so many words on these labels on your. Exactly. Now here's one that just says geezer. That's for G. Okay. That's for G because I need to remember G for geezer. Right. And then um, this one. Now, see, I was playing this um, in C. This will take us up to the key of D. So this is like, um, this is a blues tuning huh. in the key of A. Huh. But if, um, so it's in the Mixolydian mode because it's got the dropped F. Yes. You know, or the dropped G. seventh degree. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that's also the natural key of D. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, oh, this is great. I can play both. But great. then I didn't like the way that the notes were on the draw because I couldn't bend the right notes. So I had him do this other one. And this is hmm. the only harmonica of its kind in the key of D. Actually, this and its sister. Hmm. And um, so I use this for playing in the key of D because I like the way the notes fall better. Yeah. So, um, now why does it say Galax on it? Well, it's just my way of remembering it, and also because I play all those like kind of Galax tunes on there, like Susanna Gal. They and just all of fit that. naturally in this tuning. Yeah, <laughs> it's so strange to use the word tuning for a harmonica, okay. but that's what it yeah, is. Uh, yeah, configuration, I guess. Configuration. That's what, configuration. <laughs> and, that's uh, so cool. Yeah, and the um, this so it's a circular tuning. I always wondered what a circ. I thought it would mean the harmonica itself was semicircular. Right. But it's, they call it a circular tuning. And, um, or in German, it comes out as circular. So they comes out with a mm. Z, zerk, you know. And um, that's because because it doesn't skip notes. Because it doesn't skip notes. I guess it, because it, has it doesn't to, skip like, notes. It has to, like, turn around. Yes. Interesting. So there's a lot of different tuning systems now on the harmonica that there didn't used to be. And um, then, and so, and mine are kind of, I have to say, they're the only ones like it in the world. And... Um, So, um, mm. so I'm kind of proud of that. That's something I made up on my own. Yeah, that's awesome. So to come up hey, cool. with cool. Are they still making custom? Yeah, they'll custom still make them. Yeah, awesome. In fact, I've got some on the way. So they perfect. So it's it's cool. So well, you're welcome for your free advertisement. What are they called again? It's, it's Sidels. Sidels. S e y d e l. So Seidel. cool. Yeah, and that's um. So should we play a well, D? Yeah, let, let's do a couple more. Yeah. See this straight A this straight A was was is like the like the original one except that it's it's tuned major. Doesn't have the But is it still circular? Um yeah it is, but it kinda it's the scale starts in a different place. They really and I had them also expand it so that so that it would cover the fiddle range. Oh, so wow. it hits it in the same places that the fiddle That's would perfect. do. Since I can't play the fiddle anymore, I put these tunes on the fiddle. Perfect. And I'm actually learning some tunes that I should have learned years ago on the fiddle because I never... When you play in a in a bluegrass band, um, but especially if you play in a country and western band, you don't play tunes that often. Right. And you only need two or three to play for shows and right. such. And, um, and then I didn't play dances because that kind of the dance people play dance things and and so so that's um so now i'm getting around to learn some of those so let's play a tune in d let's play did can we play that johnny don't get drunk or yes yeah. okay yeah.
There you go. Just starting to get it. <laughs> oh, well, it sounded like you got it. Thanks. So, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the big one for... I like to play for people two-stepping, you know. Mm. And, and uh, a lot of people didn't like to play in a smoky bar, but I used to smoke a lot and I used to drink a lot. I don't do either anymore. But, <laughs> but, um, and, but I like to play in a smoky bar where people just did the two-step and yeah. nobody paid attention to you and everything. So, I'm actually kind of a shy person and I don't actually like to have everybody focused on me on stage you know the old joke about how they say that um that a fiddle and a viola are really the same size except the fiddle looks smaller because the fiddler's head is bigger ah. <laughs> <laughs> and i never understood like you know you'd have those texas style players where there'd be one fiddler and 12 guitar players yeah. gathered around them and all that stuff and that's another thing i liked about playing like in in bluegrass and and country and western music and such is that you do your bit and then you back off and you support other people that's yeah. more fun to play i think yeah you know playing along and trying to make it fit so hmm. we should maybe do another yeah, tune let's, let's, and then we can let's do let's do one more tune and uh what, yeah what do you want to what do you want to do, do something let's see can you think of any of those galax tunes that you don't ever get to play much so, do you ever play susanna gal susanna gal or fortune <laughs> sit here all day and try to do that but I don't think it would get any better <laughs> if you want to support get up in the cool there are many ways to do it and I'm positive that one or more will work for you for starters go tell your friends and family about it roll up on your local old time or other trad music jam and blab about get up in the cool every time someone calls a tune you heard on the show just let people know that this show exists chances are they'll be happy to find out then 
go find Get Up in the Cool on Apple Podcasts and write a five-star review. If you've already done all that and are still feeling generous, go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the Patreon button. There you'll find all the levels at which you can financially support the show and their corresponding rewards like on-air shoutouts, weekly bonus tracks, online banjo workshops, and access to the Get Up in the Cool tune archive, featuring every tune ever played on the show, tagged and organized for your iTunes library. Special thanks to my newest Get Up in the Cool supporter, Flo with Water. Hey Flo, thank you so much. It was great to see you at Evos, and I hope we can hang again real soon. If you don't have it already, the Best of 2016 album, Get Up in the Cool Volume 1, is available on my website, CameronDeWitt.com. Just click the buy slash stream button. While you're there, click that button that says TOTBS, which stands for Think Outside the Box Set, my other podcast. We just started Season 3, and we're reviewing every Alanis Morissette album. This week's episode is our review of Jagged Little Pill, which I had somehow never heard and now I'm a total apologist. I teach banjo lessons on Skype, so get at me for lessons if you're interested. You can use the contact form on my website or message me on Facebook. All the links I mentioned in this outro can be found in the show notes on your device or on camerondewitt.com slash getupinthecool. And make sure to like, follow, and join Get Up In The Cool's Facebook page and group, then share all the posts. And finally, Get Up In The Cool is always looking for one-off or continuing sponsorships, so hit me up if you want me to plug your business, website, or crowdfunding campaign. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week to Get Up In The Cool.